Hello, welcome to Helen Talks Who. I'm Helen and today we're talking about the Sontaran two-parter from the 2008 series. Um, let's dive right into it. So I've got a few things I want to talk about and to start off with, it's a two-parter. I quite like talking about the structure of two-part episodes. And um, I think with this one, I might have to rethink my opinion on what makes a good two-parter. So previously I've said that I really like it and I think it's a sign of a good quality two-parter when part one and part two have different kind of uh, different vibes to them when you've got something uh, different happening in the second episode than in the first episode. Um, Whether that's like in Impossible Planet Satan Pit when you have the reveal of the devil um, leading you into the two-parter so you've got a more philosophical episode or um, oh I don't know if what's another good example or um, think about the last one we watched the uh, Sound of Drums last is the Time Lords where um, we had the the master is up to something in part one followed by the master is at the absolute apex of his power and we need to sort that in the second part. This one, um, this this one is very similar in the first and second part. You you know the Sontarans are the main monster from very early on. I think it's it, it, the pre-titles, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, and also the fact that the title of the episode is the Sontaran stratagem. You know. Um... And you've got the same kind of cast of characters. You've got Unit very early on in the episode. You've you've got the Doctor and Donna doing their stuff. You've got Martha there. Um, I wonder if... Um, so one of the things I thought was whether the fact that you've got quite a lot of different plot strands, I wonder if that's what makes um the two parts of the story being quite similar i wonder if that's what part of what makes it work um maybe because we have in episode one we've got the introduction of the enemy and the situation we've got the introduction of what unit's doing and their investigation and stuff um then the cliffhanger we have the main plan is triggered which it's not exactly a surprise that the Sontarans are up to more than just wanting to kill a few people in cars. Um, you sort of, you get the vibe that they must have some bigger plan, so it's not exactly a surprise. Um, and you've got, so you've got simultaneously the worldwide big threat of the planet is going to be covered in poison gas um set against the very very real and close to home peril of you have will trapped in in his car with the poisonous gas right there um the cliffhanger is excellent um and then in episode two yeah it's quite similar it's like yes we know what the Sontarans are up to now but um 
just got to go ahead and figure out how to defeat them. But it works. Um, I, I wasn't sat there going, oh, this is a bit of a long episode all in one all in one place or anything it it really kept me engaged so I think I might have to rethink my opinion on uh the qualities of a good two-parter because I think this story has kind of proved me wrong that actually you can have a similar similar um settings and 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 things going on in part one and two and it and it can still work uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the companions. Uh, so we've got two companions again. And uh, first I want to rave about each of them because they've both got some lovely moments in this episode. Um, firstly, Martha. Her scene of um, of her talking to her clone in part two is really excellent. Uh, the thing that jumped out to me was I'm not sure that many people would refer to their clone using their own name without flinching. And Martha, you know, she had the initial, oh my goodness, what's happening thing, thing but she pretty much just accepts, yeah, this, this person is a person and has my memories, and looks exactly like me. And God, can you imagine what it must feel like to see someone who looks identical to you, that has your exact memories, die in front of you? Like, blimey, poor Martha. Um, and Donna. Donna really is one of my favourite companions. Um, the empty file thing, I... I mean, Doctor Who in general, and particularly Russell T Davies era of Doctor Doctor Who, does a really good job of showing that these sort of skills that people use in their everyday life can be useful, like when the chips are down, when when you've got this end of the world situation, um, and Donna is someone that shows that a lot. Um, I also really love the bit in part one where she decides she wants to go and visit her family and and say hi and uh, the doctor gets the wrong idea and thinks she's leaving for good and I absolutely love that Donna just goes, okay, the Dr. Smith understood me, I'm going to let him ramble before correcting him. I mean, really, like, if anyone could do with a bit of letting out emotions it it's the doctor uh, <laughs> um but i love that scene it's great um and donna's dynamic with her family again russell t davies writes really good uh really good like side characters and and, and you know the main character's family and stuff you get you get a real sense of the dynamic of their household from the kind of small scenes we have with, even where Donna and Wolf are just like talking without her mum there, you get this sense of, of, of how the three of them sort of fit together. I love it. Um, 
I I also want to talk about uh with regard to companions. We have two companions again. Um and it's the last time we saw this um in in this kind of way was a school reunion. And there's a few sort of uh compare and contrast points with school reunion in this in this story. So first you have the contrast where one of the first things Donna says to Martha is Ah, oh, great to meet you. He talks about you all the time. Because that was a massive element of school reunion was this idea that um Sarah Jane had left and the doctor had never mentioned her again. Um so it's partly um what I talked about in my school reunion episode, um, where I thought made the point of this is the difference between classic Doctor Who and post-2005 Doctor Who, is that the Doctor uh, kind of sees his companions more as sort of best friends and is more likely to kind of reference them. Um, I mean, it is also, like, Martha is a bit more recent, but still, um, I think... I mean, this is much nicer of the companions knowing about each other. You also have a um, parallel with School Reunion where the companions kind of bond over taking the mickey out of the Doctor uh, without the jealousy this time. It, it, again, I like this so much better. It skips straight from, uh, straight from, oh, hi, great to meet you, to, yeah, the Doctor's a bit weird, isn't he? Love him, but uh, he... He does that fly in that. Um Yeah, I, I, I love seeing companions interact. It's uh it's nice. It's yeah. The other thing that sort of links this to school reunion is that we have basically the current companion, Donna, uh looking at what the doctor did to the previous one so we have the bit of um her seeing how martha fits in at unit and sort of um i mean donna doesn't know how martha was originally i think is a good point so um you know she she doesn't know yeah she doesn't know how martha started but um Yes. The main thing I want to pick out on that theme, though, is that Martha gets Donna to sort of learn from her mistakes, um, specifically about Martha recommending to Donna that she tells her family where she is, um, which that thread of the episode, episode culminates at the end with Martha saying... I'm good here and I'm better for having been away which is a great a great attitude for the companion to have post traveling with the doctor um yeah that thing of I had a great time it's improved me I mean look at how competent Martha is in this episode she um she's clearly very good at her job and um 
so you know she's gained that from being with the doctor but also she now recognizes that you know she feels settled which is good i like that good for martha this idea of the ex-companion sort of uh, giving advice to the current companion, there's a little bit of a parallel with how uh, Luke Rattigan and the Doctor are in this episode. I definitely get um, this idea of the Doctor, the Doctor's attitude towards Rattigan. He sort of has this kind of mentor sort of energy um which I think is a really good way of doing it because Rattigan I really like Rattigan as a kind of uh villain um he's a really interesting kind of twist on the trope of the mad scientist I think having him not just the guy who invented uh this atmos and 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 who has all of these plans about what he wants to do but having him be 18 and a child genius I think it's a it's a really interesting twist for Doctor Who to explore um and I it's it's really fitting that the Doctor goes to visit Rattigan for the first time on his own without the companion there I think because we get to see just how the two of them play off against each other without having the companion there as well um yeah, the Doctor, he clearly has a lot of sympathy for Rattigan. He he probably, in some way, sees a lot of himself in it, in Rattigan. Um, there's certainly, like, quite a few lines that suggest that the Doctor sort of understands how Rattigan feels, being that sort of smart, which um, definitely contributes to this idea of him... I mean, he doesn't exactly act as a mentor for Rattigan, but there's definitely that, like, potential there. Um, You know, if Rattigan hadn't already been in league with the Sontarans, you could imagine the Doctor being a bit of a mentor to him. Um, But although the Doctor has a lot of sympathy for him, he's also painfully aware that he is an 18-year-old kid, like, seriously so young um and this kid has far too much money and power this idea of you know it's been a long time since anyone said no to you that's not you know that's not healthy for a teenager to have absolutely no boundaries um and he can also see that Rattigan is way out of his depths um, even before he knows that it's actually the Sontaran, he knows that there's someone behind Rattigan and he knows that, yeah, he's out of his depth. He probably realises it's not going to end well for Rattigan either um, because the Doctor's seen it before. Um, and this is kind of the thing that they keep setting up is they keep setting up this contrast between the Doctor's sort of experience and Rattigan's youth and you've got this in small things like um the doctor's very calm in his first few conversations with Rattigan apart from when he's being like super enthusiastic about some of the terraforming gear um but you have that in contrast to 
um Rattigan kind of losing it when uh when when he's trying to point out the uh, tautology stuff um so you have this contrast between the doctor's experience and Rattigan's inexperience um which is interesting so uh the other thing that shows that is when the doctor is baiting the Sontaran when the Sontaran teleported to Rattigan's house and, and the doctor's sort of explaining who the Sontarans are and also like making fun of them, um, Rattigan goes, only an idiot would provoke him. And again, that shows that contrast of the doctor knows what he's doing. The doctor knows which button to press. Literally, because he, uh, I mean, I know the pro bit bent isn't a button, but come on. Appreciate my pun there. Um, the Doctor, yeah, has a lot of sympathy for Rattigan. He, especially has he, uh, he, he sees the potential there, I think. Um, which is particularly the case because Atmos is yet another uh, thing, like the adipose pills, where there's potentially a really great benefit for humans. If the alien didn't have an ulterior motive. Although, again, there is that thing of the doctor showing his experience by pointing out the whole more people driving, more petrol being used thing, which... So, I think SatNav was still fairly new in 2008-ish. Um, electric cars were also fairly new. So, um, that more people driving more petrol thing wouldn't necessarily be um so much of a downside nowadays um if your energy was uh being pulled from renewable sources uh which is interesting i i, I do like uh seeing the way these episodes uh, age side note the other way this episode has age is there's now an actual thing called atmos it's the sound thing dolby atmos was only created in 2012 so this episode does predate it um which i hear it sometimes on dvds and i go hold on <laughs> my my brain does not associate that word with a sound thing anywho side note um the other thing regarding rattigan that i wanted to discuss is well is is the ending why does Rattigan sacrifice himself and save the Doctor? Because it's not entirely clear. Now, obviously, as it's a Doctor Who story, Rattigan sacrificing himself was the only way it could have ended. Um, because you can't have the Doctor blowing up the Sontarans and sacrificing himself because he's the main character. Um, but the in-story reason of how Rattigan gets from kind of the character we see in the first episode to being ready to sacrifice himself, it's not quite there. We certainly see him uh, go part of the way. Um, he has the sort of shock moment 
of um realizing that he seriously misjudged his whole part of terraforming part of his plan and the whole let's set up a new planet and that goes doubly from he had the first shock of um telling the plan to his pupils and slash colleagues and um and them going what the hell no we're gonna go and help our families we're quite happy on earth thank you very much um and then that swiftly followed by the second shock of the Santarans going yeah we were just gonna kill you all <laughs> like we were not going to drop you on a planet come on um so there's certainly that certainly shocks him into realizing that he doesn't have all the answers but for me inside the episode we don't quite get enough to to get him going that extra little bit to oh yes I'm going to sacrifice myself I'm gonna make up for it you know he it's probably like guilt um but the decision happens a bit too quickly so yeah for me that part doesn't quite work if I'm thinking about Rattigan's motivations um as a general way of ending the episode as a as the way it's done sort of mechanically great uh but yeah if I'm thinking about how Rattigan uh gets to that point there's a little bit of a missing step for me i've talked a lot about character so far um there is another theme of the episode that i'd like to talk about and this is the fact that this episode is it's an example of the doctor being virulently anti-soldier and anti-military now, we've seen it a little bit so far, um, certainly with his aversion to guns and sort of general pacifism and, and stuff. Now, the Doctor being anti-soldier, this is something that doesn't always rub me the right way. Um, so this is why I want to look at this theme. I, I, I think it's a good thing to look at with a kind of slightly critical eye so for my thing obviously I'm not saying the doctor should start using weapons and 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 using units way of resolving things but for me there is a difference between being a pacifist and trying to find an alternative way and being preachy about it and occasionally he tips over that boundary in some ways. Yeah, like I say, I'm all for him trying to find an alternative way. I'm all for him being a proponent of non-violence. But in some episodes, I do find that there's a certain amount of sort of technicalities. Like, oh, I'm not technically being violent. Um, I'm not technically blowing up all of the aliens. Um, and a certain amount of sort of do as I say, not as I do. 
Now, in this episode, I think it works well, um, and for two reasons. Firstly, it's punctured fairly effectively. The doctor's um, the doctor's attitude. You don't have an overall tone to the story of well, obviously the doctor is one hundred percent in the right here. You you do sort of um. You get the other characters going. Are you sure about that, Doctor? Uh, so Martha and Colonel Mace do a lot of that, um, in different ways. Um, Martha by saying, by pointing out that, you know, some of what Unit does fits the Doctor's way of doing things, and some of it, you know, um, doesn't necessarily. So kind of pointing out that there's a little bit more of um, a grey area. Mm, again, grey area is not, uh, not, not quite the phrase I'm thinking of here. A bit more nuanced, perhaps. Um, it's also punctured by, I'm not being funny, but turning it into a joke. Oh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't think that I, I I didn't think that phrasing through. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it in because I appreciate a pun, but that absolutely was not intentional. Um, but yeah, so um, my favorite bit of humor um for for this is the doctor, uh, casually taking the gun off Rattigan and saying, "If I see one more gun, um, like that genuinely made my made me laugh." You also have um. I'm going to call it the dip- diplomacy scene, which is the scene in part two when the Sontarans have the TARDIS and the Doctor pulls up the screen to talk to them. And you have Colonel Mace going, really don't think you should sh- should be doing this, Doctor. Um, like, surely we should let a professional do it. And, uh, and they sort of snipe at each other about the best way to... Uh, to be diplomatic um but that scene makes the makes the doctor's sort of anti-military attitude uh, uh work in this episode because the Sontaran's whole thing is that they're soldiers um so the doctor being anti-military creates a good contract and you have the doctor winding up the Sontarans very effectively and taking advantage of his sort of uh, anti-military attitude to to do that. So um so yeah it does work in this episode. Um I think uh Colonel Mace is quite an underrated character. Um I on this rock watch I, I, I don't know if it was particularly because I was kind of thinking about uh, the Doctor's anti-soldier um, attitude, um, but I really, really appreciated Colonel Mace's kind of um, how he comes across. Um, he, he's another person who, like Martha, like Donna, is not putting up with the Doctor's shit. Um, and I do like that in a character. Now... We, yeah, he's just constantly sort of questioning the doctor and 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 sort of just letting the doctor riff, um, and and then getting on with his job. 
Now, there is one element of Unit and Colonel Mace that kind of occurred to me after watching this uh, story. In part two, we see Unit go up against the Sontarans and get massacred, including Ross, the very nice Unit soldier that we that had been driving the Doctor around in part one that he'd been uh, chatting to. Um, now, the question that kind of occurs to me is, to what extent does that massacre happen? Because the Doctor has been almost, almost irrationally anti-gun and anti-military for the sake of it in part one. And this is, I think this is the crux of why this this attitude of the doctors doesn't always sit well with me because i i don't think it always has the effect that he wants it to you know the doctor being anti-gun it's not stopping unit from going in all guns blazing um it's not stopping the violence because there is an argument that if the doctor had reined it in a little bit then in part two when the doctor goes don't go up against the Sontar and it won't work Mace might have taken him more seriously because he might have seen that the doctor you know understands the kind of strategies that unit are working with perhaps um, but instead, what happens is the doctor's—he's—he's almost not been given giving a reason for being anti-military, and given that unit is a military operation and have all of these protocols in place, they need—they need more than just one guy who shows up, who you know has been called in specifically to do the technical stuff in some ways. Um, they they need more than that one guy saying no don't do this to to sort of change change what they do um you even see in the um in the diplomacy scene the doctor's not yet got the status with unit that he will get in later years where he can be a representative for the earth he's not there yet unit like the last time they saw the doctor was when he was the science guy in uh John Pertwee's era. Um and all of the people that the doctor specifically worked with who might, you know, take him at more than his word, um, they're you they're they're not around. So yeah, it's interesting. Um because it's not Mace ignoring the doctor there it's not him being stubborn because in part two we do see Mace learn from the massacre and find a more strategic way using the valiant to clear the gas and and thinking you know about what weapons will actually work with the cord lane signal he's not wedded to a strict unit way of doing things he's just devising a strategy based on his experience um and i i do wonder if the doctor had been a 
little less um, preachy, could could he have avoided that? Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting point to think about. Um, and this, talking about the Doctor being anti-soldier and stuff, this is probably something I will come back to because um, certainly the first time I watched this, the the anti the anti military stuff I didn't have a problem with it. It you know, it, it fitted the doctor I knew and it, it it's it it worked. I mean like I say, it works specifically in this episode because you get the uh you get the puncturing of his attitude and you get the contrast with the Santarans being soldiers. Um but I know there are episodes in the future where the doctor does tip over that boundary um particularly with stuff like um the whole danny pink stuff so this is this is an attitude that we will come back to absolutely thank you very much for listening um i have an email address for this podcast if anyone has any commentary or would like to get in touch i'd love to hear from you the email address is helentalkswho at gmail.com. Next time, I will be watching The Doctor's Daughter, which I haven't watched in quite a while. So let's, uh, let's see uh, George, Georgia Moffat, Georgia Tennant, and uh, a bunch of uh, fish aliens. See ya. <laughs>